Hey, welcome to another episode of my podcast. It's uh, been a minute, but it's going to be a good one. Um, today I have a chat with Steve Baxter. Um, yeah, don't really need to give him an intro because he's going to do that. So we'll jump straight into the into it. Where to where I ask him, what's uh, your life in 60 seconds? Always a nice loaded question. Let's see how he answers. Enjoy the episode, guys. 60 seconds. Can you explain? from where from birth to where you are now it's kind of like summary synced of steve baxter right super loaded yeah g'day ricky thanks for having me uh along here um 60 seconds uh born in uh northwest queensland Plum curry uh grew up in emerald and um rockhampton in, the, in central queensland the home of the world's best thermal coal as i like to say um, joined the army at 15 years old, spent nine years carrying a rifle, being a soldier, had a great time. Started my first business at 23 in Adelaide as a dial-up internet service provider. Uh, sold that in 2000, moved back to Brisbane, uh, met up with an old schoolmate, started a new business 2001, uh, listed that on the stock exchange 2005. I moved to uh, California with Google in 2008, uh, sold the Pot Networks business in 2010, moved back to Australia. And have been investing in um, early stage tech startups ever since. Did a four seasons on the Australian version of Shark Tank, which was quite enjoyable. Hasn't been on for a couple of years. Uh, dad, three daughters, and a lovely wife. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good summary. It's a really good summary. The first thing that I'm really curious about is you left Dean and joined the army. Why was that? Like, what? Why did school's not for me? Uh, well, it wasn't army, so that was you know it was only a matter of when I think to be honest. Um, uh, I, I was a fifteen-year-old kid. Um, not too much rational happens at fifteen years old. Um, uh, I wasn't the best student. I was just probably you know just a kid who didn't quite fit in at school. Um, and uh, there was an opportunity for me to go and you know and, and do something I had a, a burning desire to do. Um, so I took the opportunity. Glad that it worked out the way that it did. Oh, I mean, I've got, a, I've got a theory in life that you know, if, if you like where you are now, you can't hate how you got here. So, uh, no matter how hard your, your path's been, and a lot of people don't, you know, I probably like and quite respect where they are now for what it is and what part of the journey they're on. And I understand that, but I've been considerably lucky over the years, and I'm very happy to have landed here. And, and as a result, every last part of the, even the worst of the worst. Um, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change for anything. Yeah, completely agree with that. Yeah, with with the army part, just uh, last point to touch on that is: Do you believe in conscription? As in that, when someone turns eighteen, they should go do their twelve months, eighteen months, um, and pick up the good habits. Maybe avoid some of the negative ones, like you've spoken about, like borderline alcoholism. Um, but. <laughs> They have picking up good habits and being part of that life. Oh, well, my reference was because I was in the army, because I wasn't. Um, <laughs> um, no, no, I think I understand for the desire uh, for, for people, for certain people to sort of say that the younger generations should, you know, should get a little bit of uh, discipline and sense of duty. I think they should come from their parents quite personally. It shouldn't be sort of forced on them with a, with an involuntary work choice, I don't like that idea at all. I don't like, I, I don't like the, th- I wouldn't like the thought of serving beside a non-volunteer. To be quite honest, the weird thing about when you're in the army is at some point after you join, uh, you, people around you regard you as a digger. You, you don't get it when you sign up. You don't get it when you finish training. You get it when you, I, su- I suppose, pass a certain level of competence and, and acceptance. So, um, do we want conscripts? Do we want non-volunteers? No. Uh, I do it. Do it. Do I? Would I like young people to have a, more of a sense of duty and a sense of uh, national pride? Yes, but I think that comes from family and community, not from not from a bunch of hard-ass drill sergeants. Yeah, would you be against your as joining the army? No, I, would, no, I would be against that. Um, uh, you know, um, no, I wouldn't. Wouldn't be against that. I mean, of. of Served with many, lots and lots of tactical females, and met, met a good deal more since. They were quite, they were somewhat rare, not quite rare, but somewhat rare. 
um, I think we were the second or third intake when I started that actually had females come in. So um, it, it was, I was somewhat at the start of that wave, I suppose. Um, so they weren't numerous, that's for sure. Look, it, it's a marshal. It's a marshal. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to pick up a big heavy lump of metal and, and, and be ready to run with it, to be quite honest. Um, you've got to be able to run and jump and dive and crawl and all the rest of it. There's, there's certain types of humans that, that are more predisposed to be better at that female. Yeah, it was all of those things you described. Did you, was that even part of your thought process when you originally enlisted? Or was it? No one, uh, if I can tell you what I thought when I was 15 years old, I, I may have trouble remembering the last 15 years old, you've got no chance. And, and yeah. I, I can't remember. And I'm, what's that, 34 years ago? No, not a chance. Do you know when you started to, that reality started to kick in, like throughout? Your service because you're still relatively young when you finished. Oh, I remember first. You, you wonder what the hell you've done. Why the hell did you make this decision? It's a, you know, you're an answer. There's no way you don't know where you are when you get off that bus. Um, you know, it's 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 a place where you know robust men make sure that you've got a thicker skin by the time they finish with you. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. You mentioned that you started SCNet, uh, then Pipe Networks, but between them, I heard that you actually went and worked for someone else. So yeah, you, you only lasted there. Why did you? Beg your pardon. APT. Yeah, APT. Why did you go from running your own business, being being the person in charge, to then going working on someone else's dime? I, you know, it was pretty, it's pretty intense running your own business. Um, I spent, you know, the best part of six years making myself quite, quite unhealthy, quite unfit, I suppose. Um, doing that, I, I, I had at one stage I had enough of it to be quite honest. I was a bit done. Um, I really enjoyed the technical aspects of, of the businesses I started. I, I really enjoyed the networking, building, designing networks, writing sort of low-level code to control devices. Which is what I was doing with Double APT on, on, on a large bank project, essentially. Um, that was, you know, it was really quite enjoyable. So yeah. I just, you know, I suppose I wanted to, to decamp for a while and not think about much. I, I got into a large organisation and realised they were they were damn near useless. Their systems were stupid. They were held together with the goodwill of some very good people inside them, but for the most part, they they, they were functionally hopeless. Um, something that really surprised me. Hardly, I, I did expect to go there and learn something. Um, I, I learned a whole bunch of ways not to do things. Do you think that's most large organisations to where somewhere along the lines that ability to do things properly or most efficiently gets lost? Something. Um, well, you look at what efficiency means, right? So efficient, different things to different organisations. So, uh, um, it, you know, I worked in large American. I worked well. I worked, you know, I worked with a, a very large American company, um, and they really had a habit of throwing people at problems, and most American companies do, to be honest. They'll, they'll throw bodies at a problem rather than rather than process and procedure. But one thing the Army taught me was that process and procedure is a good thing. A paper manual that you can pick up that's well written, that you can read and understand, and everyone can do the same thing, um, is, is a really good thing. Uh, the whole sort of TQM, uh, TQM, excuse me, and quality management and quality assurance, that type of stuff, which is just doing, being able to do the same thing over again to a set level of quality. Doesn't mean high quality. Doesn't mean low quality. It just means up level of repeatable quality. Mm. So you know, that's important in business. It's um, so you know. I, no, I did struggle. It was it was it was a tough place. It was very poorly run. Um, but you know, lo- lovely people. Nothing against the people, but Jesus Christ, they were three parts hopeless. And what about that's same question? But when as an organisation, they're three parts hopeless. I'm not talking about the people. Yeah. Um, and then go work for Google. What was the thought process behind that? Because obviously just uh, you were non-executive director in TPG, uh, sorry, uh, Pipe Networks, which was then later acquired by TPG. Why did you decide to go work for Google off the back of that? Um, so uh, I wanted to uh, live in California, to be quite honest. I, um, you know, Google was what, probably 10 years old at that point in time. Um, they were, you know, still are a, a very, you know, at least from the outside, a very exciting company. Um, 
And to me, it was it was a big adventure. I, I never had a gap year. I, I, I never went and backpacked around Europe. I mean, backpacking as a young fellow, but it wasn't it wasn't enjoyable most of the time, to be honest. Um, so, and I looked at it as part of the, the bigger adventure of my life. And how was California life while you were there? I enjoyed California. It was good. You know, uh, um, socially, we had a great time. Um, uh, I learned to fly while I was there. We did a lot of traveling away. We, we knew people in the area, so we, you know, we got out and saw them uh, often enough. You know, I lived 25, probably 35 minutes walk from Google, so, you know, I managed to walk to work and back in the morning. They all, it was funny. I always thought I was a pop in Paul because I only had one car and I used to walk to work. They, they, they thought I must have been hard up. I just liked the exercise. Um, um, you know, all the people there, once again, they were, all the people at Google were lovely once again, but it's another large organisation that, that probably had its own internal information challenges, so or process challenges. Um, so I didn't, didn't enjoy it as much as I could have. Too many people drinking the Kool-Aid and not just following, towing the line kind of thing. Yeah, look, there's, there's you know, it, it's, it's, it'd be worth a, a couple of hour conversation in its own right. So there's, there's yeah. a, a lot to be said about it. Yeah, you mentioned that you um, took up flying while you were there. What what sparked that? Because you still fly now. I, I, actually, I actually started learning to fly just before I left. To be honest, started training in Australia. I only just began. Um, just always wanted to do it. I suppose you know it, it's it's hell fun. I mean, if you've ever strapped a plane to your back and just gone off for an adventure, it's the best thing you can do. Not the best thing. It's one of the. I've got my helicopter license now. That's even that's even more fun than flying aircraft. So. Um, Especially in the US, where you can, you know, it's a good deal less expensive, even given the dollar rate. To be honest, um, I was very close by a local flying club with an amazing selection of aircraft. You go and rent one for the weekend and pop off and head up to, you know, the, the, the amazing national parks and state parks around the US. There's some, it's it's a it's a it's a gorgeous place. I mean, it goes from sea level to sort of sixteen or fourteen thousand feet above sea level in the mountains. Whereas in Australia, I think Costa Rica is six thousand feet. To give you some idea. You know, for one day you can fly from snow-capped peaks to desert to 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 tornadoes. It's just it's incredible. Yeah, just a lot more diverse than Australian environment. Yeah, well, they, they sit in, it's, where they, it's, where they, it's where they sit in the latitudes, right? So, um, sort of important when it comes to weather and other bits and pieces. And they're a younger country geologically, so everything's a bit you know, everything's a bit less worn down, like you have in Australia, essentially. Yeah, yeah, cool. It's so just pivoting from that. Um, I've heard you mention about fat Labrador syndrome in the past. Um, have you noticed that in your life personally? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got it from a book. Once that was a good book, I want to say, I, I did, it wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. I got it from a book or a, a story or a blog or something. It basically says, you know, that, and I have seen this a lot, to be honest. Not a lot. He's not a lot, but you see it often enough. Um, in that you have a business that's doing pretty good, and you might be paying yourself a decent wage and putting a few hundred thousand bucks here in the bank. You know, I mean, whatever it might be, you're definitely well above middle class in Australia if you own a business, and you're just content to stay there. But you know, you can wait up, you can wait, you know, you can be a bit lazy when it comes to collecting cash off off creditors, um, up debtors, excuse me, um, and you just you don't deploy a hungry businessman's practices so yeah. what you can do is you should take a, a reasonable level of profit out of the business pay to yourself and at some stage if that business gets into trouble like needs more cash you then get to make a decision do i reinvest in my business or do i invest it in uh, bank shares or, or bank account or whatever it might be stock market where it might get a better return so it's just a good fiscal accounting um, practice i suppose even if it's just a uh, even if it's just a mental exercise yeah, and with the same kind of mentality, you can get kind of see how someone could get stuck into that irrelevantly to whether they have their own business, whether they're just floating through work, for example, or doing something just simply because they're stuck in it, or is it? Do you not see that uh, correlation? No, 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 no. Um, oh, the, so the follow-up question that I was going to have on that is: um, obviously, your children are going to be able have a lot of opportunity um, afforded to them. How, because you've started, beg your pardon? A university degree in a box, a university degree or, or a truck full of tools, that's all I'm going to get. Okay. Were they, how, they that kind of threw a spanner in that because I was throwing through my line of thought. All right. So is that your mentality of you get 
a degree. Destroy someone is give them some, give them entitlement. Easiest way to destroy someone. That's what the problem with society now is a bunch of young people that's going around they're entitled to fucking everything. When they basically got to, when they, and we're about to all discover how much you've got to work for this again because it, we've, unfortunately we've come across one hell of a shock. But the reality is you're not entitled to shit. No one owes you a damn thing. Uh, you got to get out there and get it for yourself. Um, and, and the one sure way to there's nothing, you know, entitlement's a financial thing, but it's also a mental thing. You know, there's nothing worse than an entitled person talking to you. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wreck my kids. My biggest fear is I wreck my kids. And I think money's the easiest way to wreck your kids. Mm. Do you have to be careful at how you spend your own personal money to show to kind of lead by example to make sure you don't uh, desensitize your kids to normal life struggle? Um you probably look, you know, they're, they're six and three. Um, so um, so I don't know the answer to it. I suppose is where I'm going. Um, I know the, the outcome I want to achieve and I, I know there's at a, at a gross level there's certain things we need to avoid doing, which is, you know, leaving a big chunk of money or just saying, hey, you go off and travel the world for three years. Who cares? No. Um you know, you've got to have a purpose in life as well. You just, you know, it's life is about meaning in some respects and how you find that meaning and what you do. Um, so, you know, so if you just handed everything, you know, you almost become an enfeebled human being. It'd be terrible. Yeah, and that that is shown by the um, depression rates in kids that have had very large sums of money handed to them because they feel like they can't do anything anyway because they're living in the shadow. Anyway, because they've been given a huge sum of money. This camera's really, really chilled, isn't it? It's a bit shocking. Sorry, mate. How's that? Uh, it's better. Okay. So I think it's moving like very slowly, so I'm not noticing it. <laughs> it's that kind of thing where, it's like, if it changes very slightly over time, over a period of time, you just don't notice it. Like an eight-year-old webcam I had at home, I hadn't used it until the whole COVID thing came along and worked from home. And I went down to buy one from Harvey's, and I've got a free computer shop now. And they've all been magpied out. So not just dunny paper people didn't get them, but went and bought every last webcam and grabbed God knows what else as well. I couldn't find a desk chair. <laughs> like, <laughs> because obviously having like I had this stool because I thought it was a great idea to improve my posture. And so it's incredibly uncomfortable and I just wanted a chair but couldn't find one. Um, which wasn't very, very fun. With that, um, I saw that you post um posted a video with Janine the other day talking about the COVID situation. What's your take on it from an economic standpoint and where do you think things could end up? So obviously no one knows. Uh, look, I think we've overreacted to the, to the problems, which is better than underreacting. Um, not so much criticism, but it's an observation. Um, we're just seeing now, which is in hindsight, so you know, hindsight being 2020, we get to do this, right? Um, that a lot of studies are coming out now talking about the actual the actual infection rates and, and how potentially much lower they are. If you if you get it and you're a certain age group or certain other factors, then you're in a lot of trouble. So, um, and any genius who uses the term hibernate the economy has never paid a payroll bill in their life. It's just a stupid concept. You can't hibernate the economy. Um, so, that would be a recession and probably depression um, for some time. Um, if we don't, if we don't hit depression, it's because we will spend even hundreds of billions of dollars more. We'll snort that, and it'll just give the, you know, our kids one hell of a debt yourself, yourself probably, and our kids one hell of a debt headache. So, um, so where do I think it's going? Um, I, I think things will return to normal in, in somewhat short order, sometimes between short and medium order. And, and there's no new normal. There's, yeah, there was no new normal after the Spanish flu and it killed 90 million people or something. You know, people went back to sporting games and shook hands and all that sort of stuff. So we'll get back to normal. It won't be a new normal just for the amount of time uh, in between. Maybe the, the, the new normal may be there'll be a good deal less retail and then people have a taste of work from home and people have a taste of, 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 uh, of e-commerce. And so that, that will actually reset uh, commerce a little bit. But in a social sense, it, it, I don't think it'll change in the, in the medium term. Um, given the amount of financial resources that have been thrown at us to snort up to try and fix this problem, then I'm hoping that there'll be a return to good, decent, honest, productive business and we can take our, our first world 
rich people's ideals and put them to one side for a while. By that, I mean we need to pursue a, um, a low-cost, high-reliability energy um, infrastructure for the country as a start. We're talking about manufacturing at all, then that's just a given. You can't have one without the other. We need to, um, you know, look at uh, agriculture. We need to look at the, the amount of green tape that are tying up projects. We need to fast-track projects. The world will need cheap resources to get out of this. The world will need really, really cheap infrastructure. We have the ability to actually be able to give that to them because we're bloody good miners and bloody good explorers and bloody good farmers. What we need to do is let the, get the city people who want these amazingly stupid regulations to get out of the way of where these things typically come from, which is the regions. So we'll have a great opportunity to, to straighten out and, and just to do good, honest, real business again. Um, so I think that will be very interesting, and that's probably informing somewhat of our investment view going forward as well, but from trying to look for things that will we'll sit at the edge of that. Um, but otherwise, uh, you know, e-commerce and standard retail is going to change. E-commerce is going to expand. The commercial real estate's up for up for interesting times, and, and I think in the general you know world economic sense, we've just got to get back to really efficient you know economics for everything we do, and so we need to forget the flights of fancy we've been on, fantasy we've been on in the past with respect to uh, base level infrastructure and just get on and do it. And you're saying that you're going, you're changing your the way that you're investing in startups based off of we're this? Looking at, we're, looking, we're looking at more things that might touch on those areas. We think that will be medium term successes coming out of this. Yeah. But we're still we're tech, but, you know, we're, we've always been trying to find, for example, an ag tech investment, never quite got one there. So we're looking a lot harder in that space now because I believe that general um, import-export security, general you know, um, trade security, I, I think it's, it's come to the fore as a part of this crisis. So therefore, I think that there will be somewhat more reliance on on um, local uh, manufacture of, of goods for ourselves and sure we have more stocks, we have the capability to ramp more, um, not just in, you know, I think in factories will be interesting. I don't think we'll, it'll be made in Australia. That's silly, we can't do that. We will have the ability to ramp up made in Australia a lot faster than we have during this crisis. So there'll be, there'll be something like that. And then there'll be a policy of to move away from single sourcing. There's obviously been a massive issue with China. So, you know, spreading that risk through other countries makes the most sense. And, and I think a lot of countries look at that. So I think you know, everyone's not going to move away from China, but if everyone moves 10 or 20% away from China, it, it'll be very interesting, right? And I think they're going to need to at least do that just to seed up some other some other polities with decent manufacturing bases that they can just have some sort of reliance on in a, in, in a, in a diversity sense. Yeah. Do you think that'll change that quickly? have been scenarios in the past, such as um, with IV bags at how America was buying most of their IV bags from one factory in Brazil or one of those countries and got hit by a cyclone and basically knocked out the entire um, supply and nothing really changed from that to now. So do you think that? Well, I think leading the show, you've got a bit of very aggressive um, plain-talking politician in America who's a president who, who tends to plain-talking and, and actually, you know, everyone forgets about Donald Trump. He's, he's actually done most of what he promised at the election. So, okay, hit by a bus with COVID. Um, you know, there's, there's Western democracies have handled it far worse than the US. But they've only got 100 casualties per million. Belgium's got 470, for Christ's sakes. No one talks much about that. So there's some, there's some absolute disasters out there. I mean, I think that the US are probably within one standard deviation of average of Western democracies out there for the handling of it. So probably an okay rating. But we've done exceptionally well. That's not going to last because our humans are the same as every other human in the world. And they'll catch it and die, unfortunately, the same numbers that others will. Uh, sad to say. Yeah. It's a hard situation to gauge someone on because it's completely unprecedented and it's not like you gave gave people a heads up. It's like going, hey, next year this is going to happen or prepare for this. Yeah, but, but so you actually have someone who's going to sort of say, well, look, we can't have the single reliance. For example, like I said, back to the yeah. trade thing, we can't have single reliance on IV bags or ventilators, whatever it might be. At the very least, you, you've got to get some Indigenous capability back somehow. And there's a variety of levers you can pull for that as a government. And the and at least, the very least you've got to do is you've got to actually have a diversity of supply. So that will be, I think, a bigger issue. That will actually, you'll see more effort in diversity of supply chains than you will in, in, in made in wherever, so to speak. Yeah. So 
off the topic of COVID, because I could go on for an infinite amount of time. You so you came back from California once you sold to TPG, and shortly after that, you started getting into um, startup investing. Why did you choose startup investing in particular um, compared to other types, which might be seen as more secure? Um, well, their portfolios in startup investing. Um, so only a sensible part of our portfolios in startup investing. So we do have a portfolio. Um, okay. And, you know, it's fun. Um, I, I, uh, it's, you get to look at a, a lot of you know, really cool technologies, really cool business plans, typically young, you know, commercially aggressive people, quite pleasant to hang around for the most part. Um, and you get to take some bets on, on future tech. It's, it is a lot of fun. We had an exit this week, like this week, last week. Just today, no, it was last week, wasn't it? So a term diagnostics, one of my first investments, exited after nine years, about a 13, I think it was 13.9 times return. So, um, you know, it's, you know, the, you can also get good returns in this space too. Yeah. Well, traditionally, they'd be seen as more speculative and riskier. But um, I see why. Bigger part of Hence the return. Exactly. Um, if you weren't in startup investing, what do you think you would be doing now? Oh, if I look up the license and round up capital in the outback, I reckon that would be just so much fun. But what is the copters in particular that's more fun than fixed wing helicopters are about the most fun you can have fully closed they, they truly are quite a maker i don't plan to that loop that's a bit weird but um you 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 pick up a helicopter you pick it you or you hover a helicopter off the ground and you get it flying essentially you get the process that is you sort of push forward and you, you get it you build up forward airspeed before you build up altitude essentially and that process where, you, where, you, where it feels like you should be digging, digging the nose of the damn thing into the ground, but it just gets faster and higher. I find it be just the most amazing rush I've ever had. Um, oh. I'm sure if you did the wrong thing, you could push your nose straight into the ground. Um, but no, man, they're, they're helicopters. <laughs> Are you going um, to be adding one to your um, list of toys? Yeah, all we'll eventually, I think. Um, you know, I, I end up... Uh, I have an aircraft, I've got a twin engine aircraft that's just stranded down in Melbourne thanks to COVID and the fact that uh, quite rightly so no, no pilot wants to bring, bring it home because they'll get, probably get um, encountered, quarantined, isolated, whatever it is, for 14 days. So it'll, it'll stay down there for the next few weeks, I'm guessing. Um, uh, but I've had four or four aircraft before that. So I, you know, I, three, four, four aircraft before that. Um, no, it was my fourth one, three aircraft. Before. So, um, uh, you know, I um, took a while. You know, it, it's you have to understand. And we had a family. We had a, a family. I really, really liked, and then we had a family. It wasn't big enough. You know, first of all, problem plane is not big enough, big enough for you. So, um, so we ended up getting a bigger one, um, which is good. So, and then we ended up having twins, and now it's too small. So, um, well, it's not too small, but it's I'd like it bigger. So, you yeah. know, I'll go out and fly a few. Um, I get some experience up first, um, and. So which you know, there's there's not very much there's not very many surprises. To tell people ask all the question about what the fastest one is. They all go about the same speed. They go somewhere from about 120 knots, which is you know double it, take off 10 percent per k. So about 200 k's an hour. They, they, that's that's usually their best speed. A fast one goes at 140. It's not, not a big improvement, if you know what I mean. They yeah. all do about two and a half hours in the fuel tanks, and that's about it. Um, you've got to do a lot to a helicopter to make it do something different to that, essentially. Um, so they're, they're pretty useless machines and expensive to fly. They go up and down really well, and they don't go that far. And I've spent close to two and a half hours on one, and I came out and it felt like I've been at a tumble drive for two and a half hours. So, um, you know, they, they, yeah, they, they basically fly by beating the air to death with their rotor blades <laughs> and let them go. So, um, look at it, yeah, they are a utility they're very much a utility machine. They're not, you know, that can be a lot of fun, but um, they're good for going up and then down, and that's about it. And a short distance and then down. Yeah, they can get into more interesting spot than a, spots than a plane can, though. If you want to go um, yeah. do something in somewhere that you can't land a plane. Well, technically, you can land any plane or any helicopter anywhere once. Any any landing that you walk away from is a good landing. Well, you can land them anyway, so you might leave a big smoke hole on the ground, but you can land them. Preferably not. That would be a very expensive exercise <laughs> and potentially one way. Um, what was I going to ask next? 
Sorry. Um, oh, this is something I was quite interested in. So obviously your profession, there's very few people that actually do what you do. A myth that you've seen commonly around your profession that you would like to debunk of um, investing. In- um, I think it's it's the um, in startups, and it would be the concept of overnight success. Overnight successes are exceptionally rare. Um, my first business was six years. My second business was was um, eight, and a, eight and a bit. Um, so probably nine and a bit now. Think about it. Um, we're not yeah, nine and three months and all that. So um, uh yeah, exceptionally rare. So um, if you're not in it for long haul, um, you know, there's, there's the guardians out there. Instagram, I think, went from zero to $1.4 billion takeout in 10 months. That's exceptionally rare. Um, and those days are well and truly behind us. So these are businesses that, that can be high growth, global success stories. But if, if you're not prepared for a 10-year grind out, then you go back to the public service. We don't want you in the startup space. See that often, that misconception? Um, there's plenty of people willing to willing to say that talk talk. Uh, you know, a lot of time I was willing to, to to do the actions, if you know what I mean. So they'll all repeat things ad nauseum, if you know what I mean. But it, it only really counts when the chips are down a bit. Um, and I think we'll see that now. The chips are down. A lot of the tourists will start coming home, basically. So um, you know, it's tough. So we see that a lot. You know, we we see unrealistic expectations. For sure. Yeah. And I know you've spoken previously about how you uh, really enjoy business networking. Do you, how do you think people are going to pivot and change and do that currently, or are they just going to hibernate and not do that for the foreseeable coming months? Um, no, I think I'll do it somehow. We're doing it now, right? Over, over, um, you know, over, over Zoom. Um, and we're doing a boardroom lunch tomorrow. We're actually, people, but, you know, we're actually sending them out Uber Eats vouchers. We'll get them all around the Zoom table, so to speak. Um, we've given them all, we've all sent them $30 Uber Eats vouchers. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, uh, so that's one way. I don't know if it's going to work or, you know, come to Sydney after tomorrow. Um, otherwise, this is what you got to do. Yeah, in some respects, you know, it's, it's the old way of doing business was damned inefficient. You had to fly overseas, go on have a beer or a wine, a tea or a coffee or a meeting or something with these people and have a chat and meet face to face. That's pretty damn inefficient, right? So but it was a necessary way you had to do things. You had to go to a trade show where there's a hundred of these things in the one room. Trade shows, you ever exhibited at a trade show? You ever seen the bill for exhibiting at a trade show? I have heard of how much they are. It's a million dollars. They really, they really can. So, um, yeah, I know. I think that there's going to be a, a good deal more efficiency come out of this because of that. Maybe the trade shows will get bigger. Maybe everyone will spring back and, you know, I, I'm very keen. I, I do enjoy networking. I do getting out, enjoy seeing people um, and, and meeting. You know, I'm a bit of a gregarious fella, so I, I love a catch-up, I love a bit of a brew, um, tied on a bit and have a good time. Yeah, do you see any negative effects on people's ability to create human connection if this goes on for too long and where you're only meeting new people over like internet not yeah yeah it does that worry you in any sense uh well you just can't go on for long right if it's a covid if the answer to the wuhan flu is us locking ourselves in buildings and not coming out we won't have an economy to speak of. We'll have no. exactly what we'll have exactly what extinction rebellion wants. It'll be an absolute economic wasteland. We'll have more people killing themselves out of out of out of depression. We'll have drug alcohol issues. We'll have uh, dependency issues. We'll have you know suicide. We'll have domestic violence. People who who don't like wealth misunderstand the the, the, the mental health benefits to working and being successful. And having something that you strive to succeed at, um, it, it's way more important to the human psyche than, than you know, than a lot of people realise. And do you think that that tipping point where one will be more negative than the other is going to be reached very quickly? If everyone started walking out of their houses and down to the park, but they really stop us, 
should they, if, if everyone did that, should they really stop us? Is it actually another question? I mean, we are, we are the, we're, we're people, we're sovereign in our own being, all right? Um, we've decided to elect governments to, to help us organise a little bit better, but they're ours. It's not the government's job to tell us, it's our job to tell them. So um, at some stage, like for God's sake, we've got three deaths per, we've got three deaths per million in Australia, for God's sakes. Something like so Belgium has, I haven't checked this morning, I got tired of it, like, I was like checking out watching disaster porn, watching these numbers and these tables. But Belgium, I think yesterday had 470. Um, I think Italy and Spain were both over um, 400. I think France was poaching 400. UK was 250. US was 120 for everyone. How much everyone hates Donald Trump. He's done quite well. Um, you know, Germany 57, Sweden 160. We're three. It's incredibly um, low. Incredibly low. It, it, it really, so okay. So we've not only flattened the curve, we've bent it, we've bashed it. It's, it's actually the curve is now is now noise, not signal, right? And, yeah. And the latest madness they want us to download an app so they can track us before. I was going to ask that. That is just mad. that's Orwellian madness. What on a technology standpoint? How do you feel? Much data to the government that's non-anonymized so essentially you're telling them i am this person i'm in this exact gps location at any point well, so in time tells them time and day you imagine of who you were in close proximity to um now if anyone thinks that, that smart people can't reverse engineer that, that's a person-to-person interaction social graph if, if that can't be reconstructed so i know where you were more importantly it's like you know it's who you interact with. So there's another word the police might use, which would be who are you consorting with? Have you heard the term consorting before? Not in normal conversation. <laughs> Look it up. It's, 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 a, it's a legal law enforcement term for potentially criminals having skiving together. I want to say it's not really conspiracy. The conspiracy is conspiracy. Um, but, you know, um, Consorting is where two, you know, where known criminals have conversations together. So, in the eyes of the, the law enforcement, because you know, to a hammer, everything is a goddamn nail, right? You are consorting with somebody else. So, they suddenly go, right? Why did you spend fifteen minutes next to this person? Which my answer would be, get fucked. It's none of your business, right? Because I don't have to prove my innocence, right? That, it's this the is other way around. Prove my innocence. So. And everyone sort of says, but that's not what it's for. No, no, it's not. I get that. And I trust technology. I don't trust the people who want to abuse technology. Um, so, you know, we have governments out there who, you know, we have a law in Australia that says it's, it's, it's illegal to offend someone. You take offence. You don't give offence. It literally, it, it, there's a law out there to, to, to protect your hurt feelings. How fucking stupid is that? And laws are enforced at the point of a gun. People also think I'm silly, but if I if I don't if I don't go to court for my son's my me offending you, I get hauled away under the point of a gun. If I don't pay that fine, I go to jail at the point of a gun. So laws are enforced by people with weapons. So you know if we are talking about police enforcing offence. So do I trust the same organisation that won't abuse won't abuse it? Won't get my phone and basically compel me to open up that graph and show me where I've been who I've been talking to? Do I trust in that? I, I don't trust. I don't trust in my grandmother's brass razor. That and you still clearly choose to live in Australia. Do you think that we are currently doing handling that part better than other countries, or do you think we're pretty? It's pretty well, silly. And got their social life in God knows well. There definitely are places handling it worse. The UK, for example, I mean the UK. For God's sake, there was a chap there who who, who retweeted something on Twitter and, and had a police visit his workplace to to check his thinking. You know, a police officer being sent there to check something. It's called the thought police. That literally, that person is now called the thought police. The guy's name is Harry Miller. He just won a case in the UK High Court over it. Ten people. A day are arrested in the UK for offensive social media, offensive social media posts and bad jokes. Um, the home of the Magna Carta. That's the home of the Magna Carta for Christ's sake. It's the first place to free the slaves. Uh, it, it, it beggars belief. So, um, yes, we are handling it better than some. Um, we still have, like, for example, Section 18, Set Away from Discrimination Act, which is a terrible piece of legislation, which makes it, which, we, which means we can't conduct a free and open conversation. So, um, no, I don't trust them. 
I don't trust them at all. There's a, the foreign interference. Uh, last year, there was a conference held in Sydney called CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference. Uh, and the organisers of that were actually were, were sent letters by public servants and politicians compelling them to hand over all information regarding that conference over to the Attorney General's Department because they had temerity to invite over Nigel Farage, sitting US congressman, and, and others. So we actually invited over elected representatives of our allies and the federal, the federal the organs of the federal attorney general, so federal law enforcement, under threat of six months jail, demanded all communication. I was one of the organisers, so I'm very, very well across this. I don't trust our government worth a damn. Do you trust, or do you think that it's all pretty, pretty difficult to have people that are working on a four to four year or three, three to three year basis make decisions? You're quite blunt. The enforcers. I, I, I actually entrust, I trust the politicians more than I trust the, the people who have who, who are there to enforce. Um, you know, there's been some disgraceful behaviour with COVID. I mean, people lying and sunbathing in the park, fifty minutes from another person being told to move on is just one way to, for the police to actually lose respect in the community. I, I find that just the, the, the overstepping of the mark. And I'm, I'm actually all for social. I think social distancing is the best way to kill this. will defeat this 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 virus, right? But, okay, social distance. So why is it that a, that a mother and a daughter who live together get fined for doing a driving lesson? Why is it the guy yeah. gets fined to, 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 to take his rubbish? Why is it you can't go with, you can now, but for, for a while, and actually in Victoria, you can't go fishing. You can't play golf by yourself. So it's not social distancing. It, it's actually someone out there who's actually found that they can actually impact your behaviour. They don't want you doing these things, not because it causes disease, but for whatever reason. So if it, if it doesn't actually... It doesn't actually increase the risk of disease. Why have they done that? And that's what no one's asking. Think they've, it's, done it they've got a moment of power and they can. That's a little uh, prison experiment style reaction. Uh, are you aware of the think Stanford prison experiment? Essentially, they um, got students that were all years. And for, I think, a week, they told three of them, they set them up in like this jail scenario, told three of them that they were the prison guards and the other ones were the inmates. And essentially what happened is that the ones that were prison guards ended up becoming very abusive and abusing their power to people that were their peers, essentially mm. got to a very bad stage to where they had to end the experiment because it's quite scary with their behavior. It's kind of speaking along the lines, if you give someone uncontrolled access degree or authority, it leads to... I mean, on the app, and, and you know, they've come out and said it's not going to be compulsory in Australia. It wasn't what they said initially. Scott Morrison got up there and Scott Morrison got up and said, we'd like 40% of the people to, you know, we'd like to get to 40% penetration, I can't the exact words. We'd like 40% of the population to use this. Otherwise, we'll look at plan Bs. And the inference was, because it was in direct request to a question, will it, will it, be, will it be compulsory? No, we'd like 40% otherwise we'll look at plan B. That's disgraceful. Right? That's basically saying that that's, that's, we're going to compel you. But just think, how do you actually enforce use of that thing? Police yeah. will stop you. They'll pull your phone out, and they'll say you have to log on and show if you're using this app. Really, no one, no one thought very hard about this, did they? No one thought very hard about this at all. Um, and for people to to willingly, and there's, there's, you know, there's some clowns around who are claiming that it's it, it's urgent. There's no time for the debate. Anyone ever says there's no time for a debate? It's brilliant time to sit on your ass, sit down, and say let's have a debate because it's yeah. all important. There's always time for, especially when it comes to rights and privacy, it's always time for a debate. Yeah. So worst case scenario, we need to leave the earth. Do you believe in uh, Elon SpaceX and that whole venture there? What's your thoughts around uh, colonizing a different planet? Oh, look, I, I, do I believe? No, I believe. Um, I haven't looked at the SpaceX business or his capabilities of his aircraft, his um, spacecraft or, or, or anything. So I, I you know, don't know. Uh, he's oh, putting okay. things up. He's obviously launching lots of cargoes and lots of payloads, and something's happening. And I've read stories about how he's collapsed the price of, of launching cargoes. So you know, he's obviously doing something out there that, which is which is quite innovative. Um, so far as you know, leaving the planet, yeah, I, I do think we need to. Uh, I do think humanity in general needs a second home. I, I think we're, we're, we're exceptionally exposed here um, to a calamity. And, uh, it won't be a virus that kills us. It'll be something a lot more a lot more kinetic. Um, than a virus, it's for sure. So, um, so, so yes. Um, but you know, it's 
uh, it's how much effort you put into that sort of thing. And, and you know, I don't regard it as a high priority at this point in time, put it that way. But hey, yeah. private sector mostly doing it. How good is that? Private sector's got more done than the government sector. Probably, probably got more done in the last 15 years. The government's produced 50. Very much if so. You, if, you look at, if you look at aircraft, if you look at spacecraft in orbit right now, I think that'd be an accurate statement. Well, that that's kind of what where SpaceX got their advantage is that they realized that there were a whole bunch of these really big sub, basically sub-government organizations that weren't innovating because they didn't have to. And they came in and just undercut the market, which mm. is great to see. Um, anytime that someone does that is always great. Um, final question. And bit strange. Like we've kind of jumped all over the place during this and kind of covered a few different topics, but is there any question that you think I should have asked you, but didn't? Um, oh, uh, I, I do a lot of these, I suppose. And you, you get the, I've enjoyed your questions, um, Ricky. That's good. So, um, I, I do a lot of these and you get asked a lot of the, I like the fact that you 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 got my history down in sixty seconds, and a lot of the times the half of the podcast is I tell the same story where I grew up and what I did and stuff. And I noticed that. Yeah, and so I'm a bit hesitant to do more of these things because to me, there's I'm not really putting much more new out there. Um, I um, yeah, uh, what questions should you have asked? Um, I mean, on the uh, on the investment side, I suppose we didn't talk much about that. Um, I, I did enjoy the, the questions about how, um, with respect to how we might look raising our kids, how, how you know our, our, our present philosophy, how we're considering raising our kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, with that, do you? What's your faith in the current schooling system? Because I'm assuming you're having to take on more of those responsibilities now, and there's a lot coming out being like, well, you actually need to give them a couple of hours a day when historically they've been yeah. at school for eight. Yeah. Well, sort of, we are, but you know. I have the same amount of money for leaving at home. It's annoying me, but um, uh, look, yeah, they're in kindergarten and year two. Um, the fact they're not being crayons is awesome. Um, I, I think kids should have time to play. However, at some point, school's got to get serious. And you know, grade two, slot three, or grade two, three feels like when it should start getting serious, and it is. Very lucky we've got three exceptionally you know, bright, at least at this stage, anyway, of their development. They, they seem quite bright kids. Um, you know, I love them, whatever happens anyway, but, you know, from an educational sense, they're, they're doing quite well for their, for their without their development curve. Um, I, I worry about some of the current um, nonsense being taught at various levels of education. Um, I'm a bit more of a traditionalist, nationalist, I suppose. Um, I'm proud of, you know, our history on bits and pieces. I, I don't see a lot of this sort of claptrap they come out with nowadays and, we're not seeing the claptrap in grade two, but I think from grade five or six we might. Um, you know, so far as the, the gender stuff, and so far as sort of the national you know, portraying our, our nation as a nation that should be embarrassed about its history, um, I don't like that at all. So I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of that turns around in the meantime, and we actually get back to a, a, a more useful, dignified curriculum. Um, otherwise, you know, I've been enjoying trying to uh, go through the times tables and the plus and plus and minus tables with my daughter because I know I, the way I learned how to add up and divide and stuff was just by saying it over and over a thousand times. Um, that doesn't seem to be the way. Um, so I'm still doing that with her um, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. So, um, you know, being said, I enjoy working as well. So I, 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 I find it hard to spend all day with them. I do on the weekends and, you know, and the holidays and whatnot as best I can. Um, because, you know, they're in essence, they're, they're, they're we small people who play repetitive, boring games, <laughs> to be honest. There's only so many times you can play with the same dog and the same shitty thing over and over and over. And I'm sure I'll miss this in a year or two's time. Oh, my God, I wish I'd spent more time. But right now it's like, you know, my biggest fun is so I deliberately confuse Anna and Elsa. That just drives them crazy. I think the dad's got some sort of simpleton so he can't figure out which dog's which. So that's, that's my bit of fun, um, you know. I'm enjoying, I suppose I'm enjoying watching Bluey. I'm mean, finally got some really good Australian kids TV on there. So Bluey cartoon shows, fantastic. Um, at least you like Australian characters and you've got like the animal characters. You haven't got daddy pig who's an absolute dipshit and they're basically meant to make men look bad. So, you know, um, I, I think I really, I really, really enjoy Bluey. That's uh, good to hear. I'll, um, you'll push them towards more STEM. 
schooling as they go ahead? So coding, things like that? Or if they want to, you'll support it? What are they going to do? You need to have people, right? So uh, you know, we've, um, I've been trying to get elders to get interested in a bit. I like a bit of space stuff. You know, I, like, I don't like Star Wars that much, but it's, it's, it's you know, I like Battlestar Galactica, but, but there's less fur, there's less fluffy creatures in Battlestar Galactica. You can talk to a six-year-old about um, so you know, you know, we bought Chewbacca dolls, and you know, we tell space stories, and we've created like a this um, PVC tube rocket thing with new fire rockets. We were firing up, and you could actually fire them up. The plumbers in the backyard it was a lot more fun. Um, you know, it's like being hit with a plane car. It's not, you know, it's not that offensive. You're not going to kill a bird, thankfully. Yeah. These things, but they fly like they fly in every direction. You know, I couldn't decide on the bar. Um, so, you know, so in the space and stuff and we go out at night and we look at we get the satellite trackers out and we try and spot satellites. It's a lot of fun, actually. Oh, okay. Um, uh, and um, oh, I've just heard of the home. I've just jumped in the pool. Um, and so, I, no, I'll encourage them to do what they love, to be honest. Um, I, I've seen my efforts. I, I absolutely 100% vehemently hate horses. I think they're smelly, I think they're dangerous, I think they got pool over them, they're full of flies, tars click everywhere. I just I hate horses, right? Irrationally, probably, whatever. To all you horse lovers, I hate horses. Um, and so I've been trying to convince the kids from the moment that I bought the horses are bad, and they just left onto that, and they just now get all the horses that bother around me, and they just give me a hard time about horses. So you can't, you can't afford them. They're, they're, they're predisposed to certain things, you know what I mean? So, yeah. good on as long as what they got, whatever they like doing, they do with a bit of passion, and they, they you know, they strive. I said, you, you, you actually need purpose in life, and purpose doesn't come from easy things. Purpose comes from things that are quite difficult. So, um, you know, whatever they do, they've got to be content. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you very much for your time. We went slightly over over time. Hope that's not. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. And I'll um, send you a link once it's done. Thank you.